I want you to imagine that the Springboks are in town and they're playing the dreaded enemy, the All Blacks. And we've got tickets. So we're going out to Newlands and these are good seats. They're up in the stands and they're sort of hovering over the, the halfway line and we're ready to see the showdown. And it's time, and the referees are on the field, the All Blacks are coming out, ready for a hucker. But this, the box are nowhere to be seen. And, you know, the referee's blowing his whistle, they're sending someone back down the tunnel, they're trying to find where is South Africa and why aren't they on the field. And the crowd's getting a bit restless by this point, and five minutes have gone, ten minutes... And so you turn to the bloke next to you just to say, look, what's going on? And you think, oh my goodness, it's, it's Sia Khaleesi. Captain of the Springboks is sitting right next to you up in the stand. And as you look around the rest of the, the row, the entire Springboks team is up there in the grandstand. And you turn to them and say, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we've come to watch the rugby. See, what do you mean you've come to watch the rugby? Well, we, we never get to sit and watch the rugby very often, and we just had the opportunity, we thought we'd do it. But what are you doing up here in the grandstand? Oh man, these are good seats. These tickets are so hard to get. Like seriously, we got the best seat. If, if they stay up there as spectators in the grandstand, do you understand, unless they get on the field as players, there ain't going to be no rugby on that day. When rugby South Africa signed up Sia Khaleesi and the rest of the team, they didn't sign them up to be people who watched things happen. They signed them up to be people who made things happen. They didn't, they didn't give them the Springboks jerseys so they could be spectators. They gave them the Springboks jerseys so they could be players. Heard of another bloke who was getting a team together. His name is Jesus. And if you've said yes to Jesus at some stage in your life, then he has called you to be on his team. And can I bring you an assurance, Jesus doesn't sign up anybody on his team to be a spectator. He only signs up people who are going to be players. And if you show up at church as a spectator, then there's not a lot of ministry going to happen. If you show up at your life group as a spectator, you show up at your university, your workplace, your family, your community as a ministry spectator and not a ministry player, then the ministry that's meant to be happening is never going to occur. Do you remember when Jesus is calling his very first disciples? It's in Matthew 4, verse 18. Don't look it up. You know it. You know this verse. Jesus walks up to fishermen walks up to ordinary everyday people and he says, come follow me and... Now just pause there for a moment. Imagine you've never heard that verse before. Imagine you've got to finish that sentence for Jesus. You're on his marketing team. You're on his social media team. And you want to, you want to get the, the tweet getting out there. Come follow me and... What slogan would you come up with that would inspire people and give them all the benefits of being on Jesus' team? Now, you know what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll give you eternal life. Now, that's true, 
But at this point, he doesn't say it. He doesn't say, come follow me and I'll forgive your sins. That's true. That's not what he says. He certainly doesn't say, come follow me and I'll put you in a cozy church with awesome worship where you always have great coffee. In fact, he didn't even say, come follow me and I'll do anything for you. You know what he said. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I'll train you to reach people. Come follow me and I'll put you on my ministry team. Come follow me and together we will change the world. Because we're not spectators, we're players. Now that's actually the title of my message and just so you don't sit there just being a spectator, I'm wondering can I get you to join in that every time I say it? Every time I say we're not spectators, can you reply in loud and enthusiastic passion, we're players. Just two words, you'll memorise them. Can we do a little test? Because we're not spectators. Oh, love the enthusiasm. Keep it going. When you came to Christ, that moment where you said yes to Jesus, why did God call you? What was his plan? What was the result he was looking for? Was Jesus just stitching up a personal salvation contract with you? Was God's plan simply to draw you into a close and intimate relationship with him? Because if that's all God was after, he would have taken you to glory straight away. If all God wanted for you to be in an eternal, close relationship, you would be in heaven right now where you will never, ever be closer to Jesus with nothing separating from you. But by observation, some of you are still here. Do you understand that there is another purpose to God calling you to himself? It's so that you can witness for him and help others discover the brilliance that you've discovered in Jesus. And if you're feeling like you just want to step back a little bit and just take it a little bit easy and let everybody else run around and do the ministry, I want to assure you Jesus has never called you to be a spectator. He signed you up to be a ministry player because we're not spectators. Can I look with you at three different pictures as to what it means to be a player on Jesus' ministry team? So if you've got your Bibles handy, now's the big time to go for them. We're going to go to 2 Timothy. So if you've got your own Bible there, follow along. Um, I'll guide you through it. But there's three pictures that God inspires Paul as he's writing to the young leader, Timothy. Picture number one, you're called to be a soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. The first picture that Paul thinks of, of what it's like to be on Jesus' ministry team, is that of a soldier. Now, can I admit to you, I have never been in the military at all, 
And my suspicion is I would flunk it really badly. Seriously, it is not a life of comfort and luxury. It is a life of discipline and hard work. And Paul would know exactly what it's like because he's writing this letter to Timothy from prison where he is chained 24 hours a day to one of Rome's finest and he gets to witness firsthand the might of the Roman military machine which was progressively conquering the world. And he sees the dedication and the hard work and the absolute commitment of the Roman fighting machine. The life of a soldier is seriously hard work. And look, I don't think I would survive boot camp. I mean, getting out of bed before the sun comes up. Ugh. <laughs> Ten kilometer run before breakfast. Ugh. <laughs> Army breakfast. Ugh. <laughs> Yes, sir, no, sir, polish your boots. Do you understand? They would flunk me out of the academy when a few weeks were over. And of course, if you're in the military, by the way, I take my hat off to you. If you have served your country, seriously, you have my absolute respect. Anyone my age who's a South African, you fought in Angola, you did what your country called you to, and you have my total respect for doing that. I don't know I would be able to handle it very well at all. Because you're, if you're a soldier, you might get called into war, and you'll be on the front lines, you'll be in the trenches, and you're called to face an enemy. So if somewhere along the line you became a Christian for all the good things that God would do for me, you know, eternal life and forgiveness and community and destiny and purpose and a cool church, if that's the only reason you came to Christ, do you understand you're in dangerous territory? Because that's not the picture that Paul is giving up. If you've signed up as a Christian, you have enlisted for a battle. You've been called to go to the front lines and to actually take on an enemy. Come on, if you're a Christian, you're called to be a soldier. So don't settle for being a tourist. Now, there are some similarities between soldiers and tourists. They both travel the world. They both encounter people from different cultures. They both come across people with different languages. They both go to new places and discover new things. But there is a huge difference between a tourist and a soldier. The tourist is there for their own pleasure. The soldier is there at the pleasure of their commanding officer to defend their country in a battle. Come on, if you become a Christian, you are not a tourist on a cruise ship. You're a soldier on a battleship. And there's a world of difference between them. Now, there's nothing wrong with cruise ships. Some years ago, Karen and I took the once-in-a-lifetime let's-get-to-Europe holiday, which included a four-day cruise of the Greek islands. It was very nice. We'd get out of bed in the morning and go up onto the deck for the all-you-can-eat buffet breakfast. While we were there, a steward would go into our room and not only clean our ensuite and make our bed, but pick up all our clothes from the floor, neatly stack them up and put them on our beds and tidy the whole place up. It was like being at home with mum. Like it was great. 
Then we'd dock at another island. They had tours organised, little buses. They'd take us out, give us lunch, show us the sights. It was absolutely wonderful. We would come back to the ship in the late afternoon. We'd sit on those long sun decks up on the deck and have little waiters running around giving us lovely cool drinks and just relaxing under the sky. Oh, it was very nice. But if you become a Christian, you're not a passenger on a cruise ship. You are called to be on a battleship. You're not there just to lie back in your church seat, having all your leaders run around and serve all the ministries. You're not there with your little prayers to Jesus, treating him like a little waiter, you know, to fix everything up for you and to make things right for you and to make your life comfortable. You are there to please your commanding officer. You are there to not get entangled in civilian affairs. And if you're not careful, as a Christian, you can just start to just take a bit of a back seat. And you don't join in when it's not your favourite song. And you quietly complain to people around you when church isn't exactly the way you want it because it's got to be for you. It's somehow become all about you. Come on, you're called to be a soldier, so don't settle for being a tourist. Because remember, we're not spectators. Okay, keep the enthusiasm up there. Picture number two, you're called to be an athlete. The very next verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by completing, competing according to the rules. Do you want to get that crown of victory? Do you want to win first place? Do you want to represent your country in the Olympics? Do you want to win gold? If any of you are involved in the elite level of athletics, once again, I take my hat off to you. Do you guys understand the discipline of the elite athlete? All that training even before they go to university or to work. The strictly controlled diet, the regimented hours, not going out for a wild night on the town the night before competition. Enormous discipline. Now, have you worked out that the English word discipline and the English word disciple actually come from the same word? A disciple is someone who is disciplined to their master. And so if you're going to be a faithful disciple, you will be disciplined to what Jesus has told you about. And if you want that crown of glory, if you want to do well on Jesus' ministry team, you've actually got to put the hard yards in. There are no shortcuts. Verse 5 says, if you want to win the victory... You must compete according to the rules. So let's imagine you have been selected to represent South Africa at the next Olympics in the 1500 metres foot race, three and three quarter times around the stadium. In the first um, 30 seconds, you notice that everybody else is substantially ahead of you, like substantially. Can you just cut across the field in the middle and join them on the other side and get a medal? Would that work? 
No, because you're not competing according to the rules. Let's imagine, let's go back to the Springboks and the uh, All Blacks game. The Springboks, of course, are winning. Could the All Blacks coach sneak a few of the substitute players onto the field while the starting 15 are already there just to give them a little bit of advantage so they could come and make a fight of it? Could they win the match like that? You're a harsh crowd. No, because you've got to compete according to the rules. If you're a weightlifter, can you inject little drugs into your body to make you stronger? No. If you want to win the victory, you can't look for shortcuts. But I keep meeting Christians who really want to love Jesus, but they're trying a shortcut. Oh, Lord, I want to know you more and more, but I don't have to read my Bible every day, do I? That is a shortcut, and it's never going to work. Oh, Lord, you are my everything, you're the one for me, and I love the fellowship of your people. Um, but I don't actually have to go to church every time it's on on a Sunday, do I? You understand that's a, a shortcut? It's not going to work. Oh, you are my Lord. I serve you with my life. I love the worship. But there's a few sins I would like to hang on to because I kind of enjoy them. Do you understand? That is a shortcut. It will never actually achieve your potential as a disciple. Come on, you're called to be an athlete, so don't settle for shortcuts. Because remember, we're not spectators. Picture number three, you're called to be a farmer. The very next verse, have a look at verse six. Two Timothy 2, verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I have never been on the land. If you've been involved in farming at some stage, I salute you because it is darn hard work. Who on earth would want to do it? There's those early mornings, there's the long hours, there's 365 days of the year. You're out there in the sweltering sun, you're out there in the, the, in the pouring rain. And unlike the soldier, there's no glory when you're pulling the cow that's stuck in the hedge. Unlike the athlete, there's no grandstand applauding you when you're fixing the fence in the back paddock. Like the farmer shows up day in, day out, and doesn't have anybody cheering them on. They simply do their job week in, week out, day in, day out. Does, does your ministry ever feel a bit like that? that? That you're faithful, you show up, you do your ministry, and like maybe it feels like there's no cheer squad that's calling you on, you never get the spotlight, you never get the microphone. Nobody notices that much. And you just show up, and you're faithful, but you're just thinking, I don't really feel appreciated. Can I just check, if you're faithful doing your ministry, is it okay if there isn't a cheer squad yelling for you at every opportunity? Can you be like that farmer who faithfully does what is required and does it with all their heart, whether anyone cheers for them or not? So, here's a question. 
Who is entitled to eat what the farmer produces? Now, I'm a city boy, and uh, as a youth pastor in Australia, I work with city kids, the ones who all think that meat comes in polystyrene trays at the supermarket and that milk is dispensed in cartons. They're, they were my wonderful teenagers. If I ask them who is entitled to eat what the farmer produces, their answer would be, I am. I want to go into McDonald's and order my two all-beef fatty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Like the farmer does the work, I get the benefit. Food with no effort, what could be better? But think about this logically. If there is anybody who is entitled to eat what the farmer produces, it's actually the farmer. Because they're the one who has worked for it. Now, we city people don't get that connection. We want to go in and get our KFC, never imagining the chicken farmer that works so hard behind it. We want to get our McDonald's McValue meal, Never thinking there is a beef farmer somewhere in the world who slogged their guts out to produce this beef. There is a wheat farmer somewhere in the world who worked day and night to grow the wheat to make this bun. There is a sesame seed farmer somewhere in the world who grows sesame seeds and there's a pickled onion farmer somewhere and if I can find him, I'm going to tell him to stop. <laughs> you understand the food is there and we don't think about the effort that was required to do it. Now, let me tell you the little bit I know about farming. A farmer is essentially the producer of food, not the consumer of food. The thing that delineates a farmer separate from... I produce no food. I consume a lot. I don't produce any. The thing that marks a farmer is they are the producer of food. So let's just imagine for a moment that every farmer in South Africa and their families, they decided that for the next 12 months that the farmer and their family would consume every little bit of produce that their farm produced. So for the beef farmer, he and his family consume, they eat up all the beef that is produced that year on their farm. The wheat farmer and his family eat all the bread that is baked from the wheat that they grow. The farmer who runs the wine farm, <laughs> they consume every drop of wine that their vineyard produces for a whole year. Just imagine if every farmer in South Africa for the next year totally consumed every food they produced. May I suggest two results? Number one, fat farmers. Number two, the rest of South Africa starves. Because they consume everything they grow, there is nothing for us. Imagine if every church in South Africa totally consumed all their own ministry for the next 12 months. All the Bible teaching is all for me. I'm going to fill myself with the good Bible teaching. All the worship, it's for me to make me feel good about being a Christian. 
all the money we give, it's to spend on us so we can make, put cushions on the seat and install air conditioners and other stuff. You understand, imagine what would happen if every church in South Africa for the next year totally consumed every bit of ministry that they produced. May I suggest two results? Number one, fat Christians wallowing in all that ministry. Yummy. (laughs) Number two, nobody else in South Africa hears about Jesus. No one has their uh, eternity transformed. Nobody comes to Christ. Nobody gets involved with church. The kingdom never grows. And the devil is incredibly happy. Why is it then that we are so tempted when Jesus has called us to be the producers of ministry to run around like the consumers of ministry let's just try a few churches until I find one that really meets my needs it's got to have the music I like it's got to have the people I like it's got to be at a suitable time you understand how we can just become consumers oh why did they pick that song seriously I'm just going to stand here and hope no one notices I'm not singing. Praise God for masks. Oh, I'll go to I'll go a life group. Yeah, well, if, if my friends are there, or if I like the leader, or if they run a life group the way I think they should, yes, I'll give money when the church is making decisions that benefit me, but like we're going on some mission for people I've never heard of. I, I don't like that. I'm just going to hold back my... You understand what it's like to be a consumer? When Jesus called you to be a Christian, he did not call you to be a consumer of ministry. He called you to be a producer of ministry. Now, there are people who are meant to be the consumers of ministry. They're called non-Christians. And we produce the ministry as a community of believers so that we can go out and reach those who are in darkness, so that we can point them to the eternal light that is Christ, that we can see their salvation assured, we can see their destiny change, we can see the kingdom grow, we can see God's name glorified, and the devil is not happy with that whatsoever. Come on. Here is the trap of going to a good church. Here's the trap of going to a good church. It's easier to watch a video about evangelism than to actually evangelize. It's easier to do training as to how we will feed the starving rather than actually feeding the starving. It's easier to go on a discipleship course rather than actually make disciples. It's easier to have a Bible study about helping the poor rather than actually helping the poor. It's easier to sit in the seats with some guy at the front inspiring you to be back in the front lines than to actually go back in the front lines. And that is the trap which is always there. It's there for me and it's there for each one of us. And I just want to check with you, is it possible that you've moved out of the front lines of ministry and you're settling for the comfort of the parade ground. That you're no longer on the battleground, you're back at the parade ground where everything is safe and everything is nice. Is it possible that you've given up being a ministry player and you're settling for being a ministry spectator?
Can I assure you, Jesus was no spectator. Jesus did not run his mission to planet Earth from the 42nd floor of an air-conditioned office in heaven somewhere, barking out orders over a megaphone. Come on, he came to our planet. He was born as a man. He lived in poverty. He shared the pain of those around him. He, he stood for his cause. He died for his cause. He suffered so that we could have eternal life. He was no spectator. Jesus was absolutely a ministry player. He rolled his sleeves up. He got his hands dirty because he cared so much about you. He would do anything that you could be transformed to become his child. See, coming here, even on the hottest day in Cape Town ever, coming here is a good thing, but this is not the battleground. Listening to worship music in your car is a good thing. That is not the battleground. Going to your life group is a great thing. That is not the battleground. Being on a church roster, serving team, is fantastic. This is not the battleground. All these things exist to equip us to stand for Christ with those who need us in a world that is dying without him. That's the reason they exist. And I believe as we look at 2022, we look ahead at where we're going, at what God is calling us to, at what might be on his heart for us this year. He is calling us to being on the cutting edge. He is calling on us to take his message to those who need it the most. He is calling on us to be passionate for those who will never darken the doorstep of our church. He is calling on us to let him grow us to be awesome on the inside. I just want to check with you. Are you prepared to get back in the world? Are you prepared to be salt and light even when it makes life very awkward for you? Are you prepared to stand out for the crowd and not just join in the things that they're doing that you know dishonor the name of Christ? Because you will find when you're back in the front lines, your passion is renewed. Because when, if you're just sitting back as a spectator, there's no passion in that. But when you roll your sleeves up and go to the people that God is calling to you, come on, every soldier in a frontline trench, they are passionate. <laughs> Nobody is slacking off there. No one is just quietly you know, having a three-course meal instead of being on duty. But when you get back into the front lines of ministry with people, your passion is renewed. God has called you to be a player. Don't settle for being a spectator. God is calling you to be a soldier. Don't settle for being a tourist. God is calling you to be an athlete. Don't settle for shortcuts. God is calling you to be a farmer, a producer of ministry. Don't settle for being a consumer of ministry. Jesus is calling on you to join his ministry team. And when you get on his team, then together we change the world. Because remember, we're not spectators. I said we're not spectators. Up on your feet. Come on, up on your feet. We're not spectators. 
Can, can I pray for each one of us like a prayer of commissioning for where God will commission us this year? The individual people that you know need his hand. Those who have nothing who simply need something from you. Those who are walking in darkness who need his light. Can I make this a prayer for every single person here that we are being commissioned by Jesus and his Holy Spirit to be the community of Cape Town that changes this city forever this year. Father God, I praise you that you did not remain a spectator, that your son was born as one of us and lived in our sewerage and took upon us our sins and died and rose for us. I praise you that you are calling us to be on your ministry team. Thank you for the privilege of serving under your banner. And I pray for each person who is here, that as we stare down the barrel of 2022, we will see this year with your eyes. We will see our friends with your eyes. We'll see the darkest places with your eyes. And that we will see our growth as your people the way you would see it. Father, empower us with your spirit. Fill us with the passion of Jesus. Give us hearts that long to obey you no matter what the cost. And send us out so this city and this country and this world is transformed by you. Father, I commit every person here to your service. May our eyes stay fixed on you so that we achieve things for your glory.